Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and this is the podcast that digs into all the wonderful games that Warlord puts out for us to play. Now, today we're going to do something a little different than we normally do. Normally, we talk about a specific game system or a specific supplement that links the game systems, like the campaign system that came out earlier this year. Today, we're actually going to talk about how we play the games, specifically how we play the games together, uh, typically in an organized fashion. And helping me with that today is the absolute man, the myth, the legend, the guy you got to talk to about these things, Warlord Games Tournament Coordinator for the UK, but I think he's got his fingers in quite a few countries' pies across Europe and possibly other places. He is also the man who has written so many articles as part of the Warlord community site. I have read, I, I don't even know how many words that this man has written. It, you could probably publish a book. Uh, he would be under the technical title of the hobby content producer. Of course, we are talking about Marcus Vine. Welcome to the Warlord Games podcast. How are you? Oh, well, fantastic. That's a pretty incredible in, um, intro. I'll take that all day long. I am absolutely fantastic. It's a nice sunny morning here in Nottingham. I'm really happy to be on board. Well, we are going to get into the events and how people play and organize to play uh, situations, tournaments, whatever you'd like to call it, in a minute. Mm -hmm. And that is your role. But you are also a content producer for Warlord. You have been a member of their studio on and off and in a bunch of other roles for a, a, a while now. I know I've been reading the articles that you've been putting up on the Warlord site for a long time. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey as an employee of Warlord Games? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I've been with Warlord, I think, knocking on about four years now. Uh, it's a little bit, it feels like it's been forever and no time at all because obviously we had COVID in the middle of it. Um, mm -hmm. and I actually started in customer service. Um, and that was really cool. You know, that was my first time working in the industry. Um, really I'd applied for the job on a bit of a flyer almost, you know, I saw it come up and I was like, oh yeah, that looks awesome. I applied for it, got the job and ended up in the warlord family. And from there, you know, the opportunity kind of slowly arose to just kind of contribute the occasional article to the community website and the way that manifested originally occasionally every couple of weeks a bunch of us will go to john stallard the big boss's house and mm -hmm. we'll play an enormous game of like black powder or pike and shot or something and john wanted battle reports doing for those and i said yeah, i'll give that a go i've always quite enjoyed writing um mm -hmm. gave it gave it a go he liked those so i did you know a few more of those and then um, at the start of this year, a role came up in the marketing team, which was basically a hobby content producer, a full-time article writer. Um, and that was part of the marketing team having a big reshuffle, moving over to the studio's control. Um, and I applied for that because I thought, wow, you know, this is actually something I really want to do. It's kind of one of those, when you're a kid, I really wanted to be a fighter pilot. That didn't work out. Um, but if I could be something else, I always thought oh, I'd love to write for something like White Dwarf or a hobby magazine. And then this came along and I was like, well, I'd be an idiot not to go for it. Um, went for it, thankfully got it. Um, and that that was my, that's my, that's my full-time job. That is arguably my primary role because that's what I spend the vast majority of most days doing. 
Now, you know, I have to ask because when I was a kid, I also wanted to be a fighter pilot. I think almost every kid does it at some point. And when I was a kid, because I was um, I had vision problems as a kid, I, I wasn't able to fly all the hot U.S. fighter planes that everyone traditionally said. But I read an article once that said that people with glasses could still fly the A-10 Warthog. So that's always been my uh, romantic favorite. Did you have a particular plane you wanted to fly? Oh, yes. So I, so my dad was in the Air Force for nearly 40 years. He's just come out. Um, and he was ground crew. On mm-hmm. Initially, he was on Hercules. Then when I, just before I was born, he moved over to Jaguars at RAF mm-hmm. Coltishaw. And the Jaguar is my all-time favorite aeroplane. I adore it. It looks beautiful. It looks mean. You know, doing loads of low-level, high-speed stuff. And, you know, I grew up watching the Jags come into land and take off at Colt. And mm-hmm. I, I, that, I, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to join the Air Force and fly Jaguars. And then they got retired in 2007. Um, mm-hmm. uh, to that, yeah, 2007, something like, yeah, there or thereabouts. And then I kind of shifted. Oh, I want to go and fly Typhoons. Um, because, you know, Tornado, I always had this irrational dislike of Tornado, but Typhoon was new, it was cool. And in fairness, mm. you know, I, I went to university, didn't like it, left university, but I still had enough A-levels um, to potentially go to Cranwell and join the RAF. So I, I applied, I went down to um, RAF Cranwell, I did um, the aptitude test, you know, it's, it's, it's like two days where mm-hmm. you're sat at this computer with a really janky flight sim setup that's just designed to test you and your hand eye and your reaction times and your mental acuity, um, did all those tests, went and sat down for the, uh, the debrief at the end of it with this uh, flight lieutenant. And he said, so Mr. Vine, how do you think that went? And I said, well, uh, you know, some bits, um, not so well, some bits pretty well. He went, that's a fair assessment. Unfortunately, your hand eye skills are such that you will never fly an aircraft for the Royal Air Force. <laughs> I was like, well, uh, that's me told. Um, <sighs> And yeah. there, there was a couple of other opportunities that came up to join. And at that point, I just kind of went, well, if I can't fly, I don't you know, necessarily want to be watching other people do my dream job every mm-hmm. single day. Um, so I joined the prison service instead. And there you go. And then you know, spent a couple of years there, left, sold some things, joined Warlord. Pretty traditional pipeline. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that was not the answer I was expecting. And uh, that... You heard it here first, folks, the inside scoop on Marcus Fine. (laughs) Now, Marcus, you have played a lot of bolt action. I know because I've talked to people who have seen you at events. Clearly, you write a lot about bolt action as for the Warlord website. Can you talk to us a little bit about your history with bolt action? Uh, Because it looks like you've been playing for quite a while. And it looks like it is one of your main games. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's it's probably my main game, obviously, professionally. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't actually play it before I joined Warlord. I was very much aware of it. Um, but like a lot of war gamers, I was in that, you know, kind of games workshop sort of honey pit. You know, I mm-hmm. could, couldn't really pull myself out of um, games workshop. And I couldn't kind of afford, really, to have two game systems on the go, mm-hmm. especially when one of them is a GW game. Um And then I came to Warlord and I was like, one of the things I'm most excited to do here is actually be able to play all of these different games. And, and, you know, I'd never done much historicals, but then the opportunity to actually be able to play bolt action 
and be able to bring it into my kind of repertoire of gaming and meet all these people that have been playing it forever. And, you know, I just kind of fell in love with it because it's so, so simple to pick up, but so difficult to master. And there's so many different ways you can play it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's actually my, I would say it's my joint favorite game that we make. Uh, I also absolutely adore Pike and Shot. Yeah, that is a great game as well. Now, I know that you've recently been on the Lead Pursuit podcast, who were guests on this show not too long ago. So you also play other games, I'm assuming, given that you are the tournament coordinator for all yeah. Warlord games? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have what I would call a professional familiarity with all of our games. You know, and that's just from my time in customer service. I can, you know, I can intro game somebody, any of our games. Um and, you know, it's one of those things, you know, you do have to pick and choose what games you you play recreationally sometimes because there's only so many hours in the day. But I do, mm -hmm. really, I do really like Blood Red Skies. Um, again, it's a game that's super simple on the face of it. And then there's these intricacies and complexities that the, dig the deeper you dig into it, the more they come out of the woodwork. Um, and it actually adds so much depth to the game. And it's a game that you can play competitively really successfully. So it was Really fun to talk to the Lead Pursuit guys. Obviously, Doug's uh, a pilot as well, a pilot and aviator as well. So mm -hmm. that was fun to nerd with him. Um, but yeah, no, so all of our games fall under my event coordination purview. That being said, there's not a great many Hail Caesar tournaments out there. You know, you see certain games more than others crop up, which is fine. That's how certain games are designed. Exactly. Well, let's talk about your role in particular, because you did shift from article writing to being the actual tournament coordinator for Warlord. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of coming into the role, obviously, one of the one of the great things with the newsletter and the marketing team moving into the studio, into the design studio was I'm sure Paul will say it's not a great thing, but I get to sit next to Paul. And he gets to hear me sort of nerding out about bolt action and competitive play all day. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, I, because I'd done it a little bit before with the old Warlord Games tournament team, where, you know, there were a few of us staffers that would go to events and we'd play. And as part of that, we'd also bring some prize support down and just kind of wave the flag a little bit. Um, you know, it's something that I did have opinions on. It's something that I did have knowledge of. And, you know, it's something that, you know, gets talked about. So I think I kind of got noticed a little bit because I wouldn't shut up about it. And then, you know, the um, I was actually really surprised. You know, there was some personnel reshuffling. Uh, the role became available, at which point, you know, I just got asked, hey, would you like to take on this role? We think you'd be good at it. Um, I was really, really flattered and really excited and happy to do that. Um, it was a little bit daunting because obviously it's, it's a lot more of an organizational role which isn't something I'd enormously done before. But I thought, well, you know, I've got to go for this. It's just such a cool thing to be able to do. In terms of the role, so I'm the Warlord Games Tournament Coordinator. My personal areas of responsibility are everywhere in the world that isn't the Americas or Australia. Because obviously Australia is handled by War and Peace or through War and mm -hmm. Peace, and the Americas is the inestimable John Russell. So um, basically what my role is, I'm just there to enable and support tournament organizers to put on the best events possible. And that means, you know, whether that's 
just sending prize support to a veteran TO who knows exactly what they're doing, knows what they want to do and just wants some goodies to give away to the players. Or whether that's, you know, first-time TOs coming in who don't necessarily know what they want to do. They've got a vague idea, but they don't quite have the tools to put that into reality. I can come in in a consultory and an advisory role and just kind of give suggestions and help people visualize and realize what they're trying to do. Um, And so a lot of what I do as well is coordinating with our trade team so we can deliver this support through trade stockists as well. Um, And that's something I've had to basically write a manual on how to deliver this support and got that to our trade guys. And that started to really pick up traction now, which is really, really, really encouraging. And it also means that I'm not juggling a bunch of events personally, which is nice. As a former trade guy, we should explain that what that means is it's your independent friendly game stores that are scattered all over the world that Warlords deals with. Marcus can click a button and a certain package will go to that shop and then it can go to the tournament organizer in that place as part of that shop's regular order, um, which means that it's guaranteed delivered to a safe place. It isn't going to walk away off someone's stoop and, uh, you know, it it's going to be there when the event happens, right? Yeah, it also means that stores themselves can host their own events, right. um, which and it's all and it doesn't even need to be involved with me necessarily because the policy and the systems are in place. Their trade account manager, so their liaison with Warlord, can actually deliver that support as well now, which means it's way more streamlined. It's way easier for stores to get access, and it's again, it's just about making it easier for people to put really good events on. One of the really cool recent innovations, as someone who's been running bolt action events for years and years and years, one of the things I'm really excited about isn't necessarily the price support, although that's great too. It's the advertising done through the new Warlord community site. Can you talk about that? Because that is a really key uh, element of the Warlord support because it really helps gamers find the events that they want to play in. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's been a real labor of love um, by our web team, getting that set up um, by various people, making sure it's exactly what we want and it's fit for purpose. And it is still, you know, it's still being worked on. It's still being improved and expanded. It's, you know, it's very much not, this is what we've got. We're stopping here. It's going to be bigger and better in the future. And it is integral. It's absolutely integral to the system of price support. I, I always say it's, sort of a a tripartite system in that yes we'll send you the price support but also you go in on the newsletter uh, on the newsletter that goes out to all of our subscribers around the world and you know there might be some social features in there for after the fact but you're also going on the web the events website which is as you say where people can go to find warlord events in their area um so it's it's absolutely vital and it's a really cool thing um, to start with, we've been starting to populate in the last couple of months, starting to see it fill up with these events. We did mention the prize support, and it should be mentioned that as the event gets bigger, um, the level of support that Warlord can offer, of course, increases, and it can go from even a fairly small event that is just you know a local community gaming group coming together to play Warlord games in an organized fashion all the way up to major conventions. Can you talk to us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So what we've got is a four-tiered system. 
And I'm not going to get, you know, too into it with the exact numbers, but anyone that wants to find out more can contact me. I'm always going to be happy to explain it in full detail. Basically, the minimum number is eight players. That's that's the start of tier one. And then they're quite broad tiers so that, you know, it you, can, you don't have to go, oh, but does it matter if I'm going to get 10 or 12 players? Right. Um, but the more um, players you have, very simply, the more players you have, the more support you're going to get. And that's the only criteria. That's the really important thing. Because in the past, there was a Warlord tournament pack that you had to run to get some support. Now, as you said before, uh, for veteran tournament organizers or just people who've done it a few times, um, if they have a distinct idea of how they want to run their event, that's fine. A hundred percent. There is one regulation, well, two regulations. Got to have at least eight players. And you got to be playing a warlord game, right? Uh, so you know we're we're not going to support someone playing someone else's game, obviously. But right. yeah, eight players is the eight players is the only restriction really to access this support. And even for small events, I'm really happy. You know, events that are smaller than that, I'm really happy to chat with tos to help them pers- with the view to growing that event in the mm-hmm. future because that's what the goal is. If I put an event on that's tier one, if I support an event that's tier one one year. And the next year it comes back and it's tier two. I've done my job. That's amazing. It's starting to exactly. grow. But yeah, the, one of the great strengths, I think, of Bolt Action in a competitive scenario, in the competitive sense, is the diversity of the types of games and types of events that we see. And that's, you know, I don't want to go to a Bolt Action event in one end of the country and play the game one way. And then know that every single other tournament, I'm going to be playing exactly the same missions, exactly the same house rules, exactly the same selectors. I mm-hmm. love the idea of, you know, well, this is how this club does it. This is how this event runs because it's different. It's a nice change. It forces you to think differently about how you're playing the game, about how you're writing the lists. And, you know, it does in a big way fight the idea of a, of a stagnant meta. Um, because if the tournament rules are constantly changing and they're different everywhere, then the meta by definition is constantly changing. You have said the word competitive several times. Now I do want to clarify because when you're speaking competitively, you are more just talking about having an event of some kind. I know that for a little while, particularly in parts of the bolt action community, and there are people who are listening today who are probably putting their hand up or raising an eyebrow saying, does it have to be competitive? Does it have to be a tournament? Could it just be an event? And even the word tournament was dirty for a little while, and in some cases still are for some people. When we're talking about a competitive event, we are just talking about people coming together and there being a winner. So like campaign days where you have different sides competing as a group against the other one, um, that still counts, right? Absolutely. 100%. That's one of the big things with this event, with this tiered system for support and the scrapping of the old Warlord pack. Honestly, every single event that is organized, we love it equally, and we want to treat it equally within its tiers. So, you know, what we don't want to be having is a situation where, you know, a hyper-competitive, win-at-all-costs, which is a dirty word, um, kind of event where you're just out there to absolutely beat Seven Shades gets treated Mm -hmm. better or worse than a day where it's all about playing a specific campaign and getting your units right and getting the feel of the historical gaming right. In our eyes, those are absolutely equal and will receive the same level of support. 
when I say competitive play, yeah, I, I do mean in general tournaments with some kind of winner, but that's mm-hmm. not a criteria for accessing support. It's just that the pack is designed to support the majority of events, which are those sort of competitive events. But that doesn't mean that we can't come and you know offer support for events like campaign days. I've done plenty of those. I've done a meet and greet intro day for newbies. We've got that supported because mm-hmm. people are people are coming together and playing a warlord game. And it is say there is very little that we won't support if it's bringing people together to play warlord games. Now I know that in the past you have played a lot of sharper end competitive events, but those are just the ones I've heard you reported on. Do you have a personal preference now? I know if you have a preference, that's fine because it doesn't necessarily, as you say, indicate the direction of support because all events are treated equally. I'm now asking you as a gamer yourself, do you have a personal preference or do you enjoy playing a little bit of everything? Um, so I would say if I'm going to a tournament, specifically a tournament, I prefer the competition to be pretty gnarly, pretty full on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm never going to win anything, but I, I just, I, I just quite like that. You know, I like the idea yeah. of it's a little bit. I, I mean, I'm a really competitive person, which is difficult when you're a, you know, when you you never win stuff. You know, I was always rubbish at sports, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I'm really competitive, so I like that idea of going up against someone and absolutely trying your hardest. But by the same token, I also really love what traditionally is called beer and pretzels gaming. Mm-hmm. Some of which is why Pike and Shot is one of my favorite games because you play it on your giant sort of 12 by eight table. It's sort of five, six people aside. You've got a few beers going, you know, everyone's having some good banter and the result doesn't really matter. Um, when I'm going to a tournament, as I say, yeah, I like it to be competitive, but I also love going to things like theme days. And, you mm-hmm. know, big like, multi- participation games are amazing. I love, 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 love just the feeling of being, you know, like a core commander or a brigadier, you know, mm-hmm. in a, along the table with a bunch of other generals and you get the banter going and people's dice rolls are rubbish. And, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. I love that as well. Um, so yeah, kind of, that's a long winded way of saying a bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. But if we're going to get down to the nitty gritty, let's, let's go hard. I, I can't help, but hear the passion in your voice when you were talking about that. And what I'm getting from that, regardless of which end you happen to be playing at, it sounds like no matter what, you're just looking for fun. You're talking about connections. You're talking about banter. You're talking about getting together and sharing um, passion with people. I mean, that's the whole point of this, isn't it? That thing. At the end of the day, we play with toy soldiers for fun. You know, we're we're mostly grown adults pushing toy soldiers around the table, making Mm. pew pew noises. It's supposed to be fun. And and that's, again, that just to tie that back into my role is supporting and enabling TOs and event organizers to put on events that are going to give people a fun experience. And that, that's why it's, it's, in, it's impossible and really pointless to try and say, you must play our games this way. You must do it that way. Because we'll, what's right for one isn't going to be right for the other. Uh, it's exactly. much better to just let people play our games their way. Exactly right. Exactly. Because there's different communities that play different games different ways across the world. What is it? You can't please everyone all the time. 
Yeah, um, but if you try and enforce rules, you can certainly annoy everyone all the time. <laughs> exactly right, right? Well, I was asked since you were coming on, and as you've written so many articles, and I tried to glean this by digging through some of your past articles, and I couldn't quite nail it. Can you talk to us about your personal favorite bolt action armies? What do you play? Uh, so mostly I play late war Germans. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a uh, first SS um, list that I that was my first ever bolt action army as well. Uh, I did that for uh, the first tournament I went to, which was uh, Three Good Men down in South End, run by SSWG, um, Russ Wright. It was a fantastic event. Um, but I'm a really slow and lazy painter. So a lot of the time, uh, especially in the early days, I was like, right, I just need to get as few models as possible. So at 1,000 points, it's six dice, and it's got a veteran Tiger Two in it. Uh, I was about to say, what big tank are you taking? Yeah, 660-point veteran Tiger Two. Um, and you know, that was weirdly, I've won games with that list. I've won competitive mm -hmm. games with that list. You know, it's is it an optimized list for a proper hardcore tournament? Absolutely not. But of course, you've got a Soviet force that I'm working on, and that is much more sort of cut and thrust. That's designed to I can take that to a tournament that is like a no holds barred event and hopefully get some good results there. Um, and then the next one, I like to play. Um, late war stuff just because you kind of get the whole gamut of weird and wonderful toys but mm -hmm. i have been looking I'm, I'm writing an article at the minute on early war armies and i'm kind of sat there going you know what i do quite fancy something a bit weird and niche in early war you know maybe belgians or something yeah, that would. You don't see Belgians on the table too often. There seems to be a massive resurgence with French and Italian at the moment. So there's a lot of things going on out there. But I think the other thing as well is a lot of what I do in terms of my armies is also driven by kits and um, mm -hmm. and box sets. For, so Winter Germans, our plastic Winter German box set is my favorite box set of infantry I've ever worked with from any company, from any system. I just absolutely adore it. Um, and there's so much you can do with it. The posing's great. Mm. And also it helps that really easy to paint. Um, yeah. yes. the, the, the only annoying bits doing the Y straps on the webbing. Um, mm. But, and then the same thing with tanks. I adore our Panzer IV kit. It just goes together so nicely. Um, you know, I think I keep finding Panzer IVs in my house that I've either bought and built and not painted or bought but never taken out of the box. And in one case, one that I'd bought, built, and painted and completely forgotten about and gone, oh, I haven't done that. I need to get another one. I, I think they're breeding in my kind of hobby room. That sounds like a terrible problem to have, Marcus, says <laughs> me not actually meaning that at all. I would love to find a Panzer IV in my cover. That would be great. They, they just keep popping up out of nowhere. Um, I, th I think at one point I must have... There's a couple of things like that. There's uh, Winter Germans as well. Every time I go and do like a big hobby shop, I'll mm -hmm. go, oh, I definitely need a, a box of Winter Germans. They're always really useful for conversion bits. And then I'll get home, open the cupboard up. And, oh, Marcus, there's three boxes in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't have three boxes of uh, great coat Soviets. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> They're just so useful. They are. But speaking of the new Warlord Plastics, I just want to goob out with you for a second and talk about the new Plastic Italians that just came oh, out. So good. Right? Oh, 
I, uh, I was looking at the box and then looking at the actual sprues and going, I need to paint these up. These look fantastic. And I, I can't, I know I'm not supposed to ask if anything's coming up. I, I know that's why we have John Stollard on the show to do the Christmas thing and be Santa Claus. <laughs> but uh, of the more recent kits that Warlords put out, besides the brand new Italians that just came out, is there anything that's really jumped out at you? Because not to beat the Italian horse to death. I'll let you think for a second while I tell you the other one I'm really excited about. I absolutely love the new Italian resin truck. I think it looks glorious. And I may have one in the mail coming right now from the UK to Australia. Um, Marcus, is there anything out there that it, Warlord is putting out right now that you're really excited about? It doesn't even have to be bolt action. For, um, for victory at sea, actually, Nelson and Rodney. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm a big kind of capital ship nerd I, I love just the romance of big battleships um mm -hmm. normally i tend to lean a little bit more sort of pre-dreadnoughts and the weird and wonderful the 1890s early 1900s but i've really enjoyed victory at sea and nelson and rodney were kind of in development for a really long time at warlord and i'm just like yes yes they're finally like here they're they're actually coming um um so that that's been really exciting the other thing, weirdly, the one it's, it's I mean, it's already um, already announced and already um, out was the uh, Opal Blitz uh, truck backs, the, the mm -hmm. variant truck backs, which sounds like a really sort of weird and lame thing to get excited about. But I, I looked at those. I was like, That's just cool, because the Opal yeah. Blitz is one of our most underrated kits anyway. And now there's just even more stuff you can do with it, which is even more excuses to build them. Well, apparently, and uh, I believe it was John who said it on this show, it is Warlord's most sold box. I would not be stunned at all. Mm -hmm. So it makes I sense that you would expand it. Yeah, I, I, don't know the, I don't know the sales stats on that, but I would not be surprised at all because at the end of the day, you always need a truck. Marcus, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much for rolling out uh, the information about the new support structure. So if folks are looking at running a Warlord event, be it Bolt Action, be it Blood Red Sky, be it Victory at Sea, be it almost any of the wonderful games that Warlord Games puts out, even if it's Pike and Shot, or maybe especially since it's Pike and Shot. Oh, please, somebody um, run a Pike and Shot event. How do they contact you at Warlord to talk about how you can work with them to run the best event possible? So easiest way is to email customer service. That's info at warlordgames.com. And just, you know, in the message, say, hey, I want to run a tournament. It is really helpful to say where you're from in the world, because what, we'll, what I'll do then is I will have a look at the inbox every day. I, if you're in the US, for example, I'll stream you to John Russell and put you in contact. If you're in Australia, I can put you in touch with War and Peace. And then if you're mm -hmm. anywhere else, congratulations. I've, I've got my hands on you now and I'll get the ball rolling from there. Um, and if you are, you know, a friendly local gaming store owner, just speak to your trade account manager and they can sort you out with everything you need. Brilliant. Well, Marcus, I look forward to reading more of the wonderful articles that you write. And uh, though I live in Australia, so I, I speak to War and Peace Games and I love those guys. I cannot say a nice enough nice things about how much they've been supporting the bolt action community since literally bolt action kicked off in australia way back yeah. when the book first launched that's who i got it from was war and peace games i love war and peace games love them to death but it is so exciting to hear that the rest of the world has someone 
as passionate and uh, so keen to support local gaming and local gaming events as yourself. And of course, in the US, we have John Russell. He's been on the show before. Wonderful guy. So guys, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, hey, I've always wanted to run a Warlord event. Well, now is the best time possible. And if you are someone who already runs Warlord events, or you are someone who is thinking about going to a Warlord event, all Warlord events are supported by Warlord to be the best events possible. Now is the time to get out and to play games with friends and to go to events, even if your friends aren't going, and make new friends. Um, that is how I've made many of my best friends in life uh, and to this day. And many of them came from Bolt Action. So get out there, play games, have fun, guys, because that's the name of the game, right? Until next time, stay safe out there, guys. Good night.